And we are live. Welcome to the live Aaron Warner podcast on iCode Media. We are recording from a ballroom inside where we are dry, but we're down in Costa Rica. And I've got three uh, friends and colleagues here with me. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves in a minute. Uh, but we had a chance to come down and tour the manufacturing plant in Costa Rica. Uh, very impressive. Cooper Vision has done a really good job of being sustainable um, and being very efficient in their uh, their manufacturing process. They actually have LEED certification, uh, gold certification. Um, a little link in the show notes to what that means. Uh, but very impressive. Want to get uh, my colleagues' take on uh, what they've learned in their experience here. Um, we've also had the chance to just be with a really decent-sized group of, uh, of vision source practicing colleagues. And I think some of the best discussions we get happen over a, uh, a cocktail at the bar. Um, sometimes earlier, sometimes later. But we'll see if we can get into some of those discussions too. But uh, first, Jeff, uh, introduce yourself to us. Tell us a little about you. I'm Jeff Clements. I have a practice just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. A couple offices, a couple associate docs, and excited to be here. Cool. How many associate docs do you have? Two docs. Two docs. Two other docs. Cool. How many docs do you run at a time? Two two doctor days. Most days, there's a couple three doctor days. Okay. Very cool. And we've got uh, Emily. Tell us about yourself. So I'm Emily Eisenhower. I own two practices in rural East Tennessee. We have a practice in Greenville, Tennessee, where we run one doctor. We have a practice in Newport, Tennessee, where we have um, three doctors there, three partners, one associate. So glad to be here. That's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. Ah, cool. And Francis. Yes, I'm Francis Bynum. I'm on the opposite side of the state from Emily. I'm in Northwest Tennessee. I'm in solo practice by myself. Very cool. And first question to you guys, let's just throw it out. What were your takeaways on, uh, on coming to um, down to Cooper and seeing their, uh, their plant? So Emily? I think it was an incredible experience. So we always do the best for our patients. We always treat our patients in the most effective way. You also want what's best for your practice monetary wise. So just to actually see how a product is manufactured was something that I don't think of in the day-to-day -day practice, but now when I prescribe Cooper contact lenses, now it's gonna be something that's on my mind. It was so interesting to see the thought that goes into developing a contact lens, just to see how many SKU numbers that they have and what, they, what that takes, how that all plays a role in how the product's manufactured. It was very, very intense, very cool. Yeah, very cool. Francis, what do you think? You know, it's amazing to get that little peek behind the curtain and to know the technology that's involved in not only developing a contact lens, but then making that come to fruition in the manufacturing process. The, I suppose the engineering feat behind that, and also all of the logistics that have to occur. But very impressive, the plant was very impressive, the people are very impressive as well, and it's just an incredible experience to see that and to know the why behind sometimes why you do business with a company. Yep. Absolutely. It was really cool to feel like you get to know a product a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can hear numbers like they make five million contacts a day, but to actually see that in person, it just really resonates. Francis, like you said, to the engineering, uh, how tight of a machine they were to make this work and all these moving parts. Um, it was really well coordinated and a fun experience to see. That was my takeaway too, the, the, the whole process, but it was really like watching a, an orchestra 
and yes. the uh, where you clearly had your your conductors, um, but everyone there played a part. Everyone there knew exactly what they were doing, and it. it the sound probably wasn't as nice as an orchestra is. <laughs> a little bit loud with all the uh, the different lines of machines, um, but just it, how seamlessly it all it all flowed together. Um, I believe when we were there just touring the plant, uh, they said they made just under seven hundred thousand contacts in the time that we were uh, we were there learning about it and, and observing and watching the um, and and, uh, and then seeing how many more lanes they're building out. Um, I, I just I never thought beyond my Cooper Vision rep, you know. What was what was behind the curtain? To your point, just what what all went into it, um, and then how they they really are a part of the community in here in Puerto Rico, and, and what a large employer they are, um, how much they engage with the the, the economics. Um, they built their own power plant, so they could uh, could be self sufficient and, and sustaining there. And then even the thought they took into you know how they use the water, how they use the water effectively, uh, how they recycle the, the plastic that's used to make the, the contact lenses. Um, it, was, it was pretty impressive on, uh, on my end. So, Francis, yeah. One of the questions that I asked the lady there was about their employees mm. and the education level of their employees. So they had, I believe she said four or five different levels of education like when they hired someone in so you would hire in is maybe entry level there would be a technical level but the thing that was most impressive is that they want to promote within the company so if you came in as an entry level employee and let's say you had developed some skills and then you had interest in their the technical components in that technician they actually have brought in like a technical school into their plant where if you wanted to get that more education, you could go and learn that skill, learn that trade, and then be promoted within the company. I think it says a lot about an organization when you want to always educate your employees and make them better at their craft. I think in within our own practices, mm -hmm. we do that as well. We want our staff to be well educated and we want to educate them a continuous education. So to know that a company is doing that and they're kind of reinvesting in their people is very impressive. And to go along with that, Francis, that's something that I took away that wasn't just a part of the manufacturing. So when we were speaking with the lady that was guiding us around the plant, she said they had a little certain area that was dedicated to movie night and or movie day. And so when we asked and were questioning about it because all the employees were super happy, she said we take a week out of every year and we celebrate our values, our core values, our strengths. So that is something that I want to take back to my practice that, like we said, wasn't about the manufacturing process, but do we take the time in our own practice to invest in our education of our staff, invest in our education of our team, and actually celebrate our true values of why we are optometrists and why we take care of our patients? Yeah, I was neat to see the, the not just the, the product wins and the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. The individual people starting from when we first walked in, I think that they had their core values, but then the next board I remember going to talked about the pioneers. And when Cooper took over the plant, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was 36, but there were 36 pioneers, the, the 36 individuals who, who initially started there, and they were incredibly proud of the fact that there were three who were still employed there and uh, had you know, lots of, of recognition to them, talked about their contributions, and they weren't senior level execs, they were, they were the worker bees um, and part of that, that worker team, management team now. 
Um, but I thought that was really impressive that they, they hung on to their history and they were proud of their history. And I think that showed through with the current employees uh, celebrating them that they're still part of that, that legacy and history here at the plant. So, the, um, yeah, I didn't get a chance to, to peek my head in the movie room. Talk to a little bit more about what they were doing there. So we didn't actually get to go in. Okay. We just saw they had different, different themed movies going on. They had different areas that they were celebrating, different types of movies going. So we didn't actually get to go where they had the movies playing. <laughs> I don't know exactly the times that they were doing it, but they had a lot of stuff going on at once. So, so it was great. Ways to celebrate their employees. Yes. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure here, just like back in the States and our employees, the you know, we spend more time with each other than we do with our own families, so making sure that this is a place that we can have fun and not just work. Yeah. No, very cool. The Jeff, do you guys have a, you said you had a, a handful of associate docs, which I'm assuming means you have a handful of, of, of team members as well. What's your, um, like, training strategy to, to develop your employees from within? Yeah, definitely always trying to promote from within, especially, I'm sure it's like this in other practices right now, hiring's tough. And we really have emphasized post-COVID on more training, more not trying to make it overkill with our meetings, but we've increased our meetings just trying to get everybody on the same page a little bit more um, with expectations. And one thing that I'm going to bring back from this experience is the, the reinforcement of the team and the value that everybody really does provide. Um, I feel like I'm good about giving lunches out and uh, praise, but can I do it further? Mm -hmm. Can we bring this, this team together even more? But, uh, gosh, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, so staff training's been a lot, and we've been hiring a lot more people just with customer service as far as uh, technicians aren't applying for jobs at our place or uh, opticians. So it's been working with our reps to have uh, more education and build them up build them up from the bottom. Yep. So hire for personality. Definitely. And, uh, and, and, and really invest in them. I think it says a lot to, to them as well. Loyalty is an interesting word. Um, I've heard a lot of owner docs complain that they don't get loyalty. Uh, they're not seeing loyalty from their, their, their team members, not seeing loyalty from their patients. Um, then I talk to the, the young employees and they say, well, I'm, you know, my boss isn't being loyal to me. Why should I step around and, and, you know, step up and be loyal back? So I, I think that show of investment is important. Yep. I'd like to add to the, you mentioned hire for personality, and I totally agree with that. But I would add one more thing, is hire for coachability. Ooh. Because I think when you hire personality and coachability, you can put that person, you can teach them the skills, but you cannot teach people to be nice. You cannot teach people to the way they interact with people, that's not always a teachable skill. We can teach them the world of optometry and we can teach them our craft and we can educate them on contact lenses, frames, eye diseases, that sort of thing. But how coachable is a person? I think that's invaluable. In my practice, we've embraced the education, the CPO, CPOA, mm -hmm. CPT, and I can see a difference in employees when they go to a meeting where there's education. And then when they come back, I can see this excitement that they have. And one particular employee that I had, as soon as she finished the first test, she was already starting to study for the next test. And 
after she passed that, now she's studying for that next test. And to see that little bit of excitement and wanting to learn is invaluable. You just can't coach that up. I mean, that is just something that happens. And it's sometimes a rare find to have an employee that does that. But, and I think sometimes that is contagious with other employees where they want to learn things. Mm-hmm. Very cool. How, I, I love that. How do you interview for coachability? Well, you know, it's interesting, Aaron. I have um, a number of employees and not one of them has ever brought me a resume. Why? Because I sought them out. Interesting. So my latest two employees that I've hired, one worked at a local bank. And every time I would go through the drive through or in, this young lady always took care of me with a smile. I hired for attitude for her. The other young lady that I hired um, worked at a local Walmart um, within the store, not the optical part, just within the store. And you look at her dedication to her job and things like that. I mean, she was definitely a hard worker. And coming to my practice, I offered her better hours. She has little kids and Mm -hmm. stuff. But from day one, it was amazing what she wanted to learn. So don't wait for employees to come to you. If you see someone that does a really good job, it, it doesn't have to be within our industry. Whatever industry, you know, whether it's the barista at Starbucks or it's the lady at the bank or some other, I think you approach them. And one of my other employees, not these two new ones, but my, my scribe, my scribe is someone that worked at a local rehab hospital. Mm. And she is just amazing. She would call herself a worker bee, but I um, I sought her out too. So I texted her one day to see if she was interested. I had a job opening and she too came to work for me. So I don't wait for the resume to come to you. You observe people, you observe how they work, how they interact with people. So approach them. I love that. How do you approach them? Because I think that's very carefully. Yeah, I was <laughs> very carefully. Are um, you welcome so, back to the bank still? <laughs> so I yes, actually the bank people still love me. Um, they say, well, we, we miss her, but, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, I think you mentioned the people at the bank. I think they were happy for this employee that she went somewhere and she's happy. I mean, be happy for other people, but I have a few rules. I don't, I don't poach anybody from eye doctor offices. Yeah, I don't do that. I mean, I have a few, I do have some standards, Aaron. Um, but, <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> um, but I think that I just observe people, and it might be something that I don't have an immediate need in my office, but I just observe people, mm-hmm. I observe how they treat me, I observe how they interact with others, and I think that's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. And so then when a job comes available and you think this person might fit in well to my team, then you you know, typically, honestly, it's been with text messaging. So they know me. I mean, typically they know me. A lot of times they're patients. So I might text them and say, hey, I don't know if you're even interested, but I have an opening in my office. If you'd like to know a little bit more about this, reach out to me. Very cool. I like that. Have either of you ever tried uh, proactively recruiting? We So we do that some, but we also use our team to 
seek out other people because your team members want somebody that's going to work just as hard as they do to make their job easier and make the office perform better. So we, the first thing that we do whenever we decide that we're, we need to have an open position is we recommend to the team, do you guys have anybody that you want to bring to us that would be interested in applying for this job? And so that's, how, that's been very successful for our, for our practice. Very cool. And I'll add on to that. You know your team members know who they can work well with and who they can't. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like that. I haven't tried that. Have you? With little success. Little success. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, I do like it, though. I need to get over the fear of, I guess it's fear of rejection, right? Them rejecting me. It's a lot easier being on the side where you get to reject them <laughs> yeah. and they come to you. I um, did have that happen to me, by the way. Did you? Yeah. So it's a funny story. And maybe if this comes out on a podcast, I'll let her listen to it. But, um, uh, but she's a jewel. So um, I reached out to her. She was interested. I, you know, she came in, we talked about the job, what it would entail. She has a great personality. She would have been a great hire. Offered her the job. And then it's like, like when that boy rejects you, you know that feeling? Okay, that was the feeling I got when she called me back and said she wasn't going to take the job because her employer heard about her coming. So the employer offered her the moon, the sun, the rainbow, and everything. So she stayed, and I was dejected, right? So fast forward about six months, she called me one day, and I, you know, I've known her forever, so I, we chatted for a minute, and she said, um, do you still have a job opening? Well, the truth is I did, because she was the one I wanted. She rejected me, of course. And then I just couldn't find someone that fit that personality for that job. So we went six months and didn't hire that position. So she called me and uh, I did play a little hard to get, I have to admit that. Good for you. Uh, I did, so I told her I was gonna have to think about it. <laughs> and I was just all giddy on the inside. So I at least waited till the next day, quickly called her back and said, absolutely, the job is still yours if you would, we would love to have you a part of our team. So sometimes people play hard to get, but, you know, be patient. I like that. Reminded me a lot of my high school days. Trying to date, right? <laughs> yeah. No, very cool. You bring up another awesome point, too, of not, not hiring a position just to fill a position, right? And is it, is it worth... Are you really hurting the practice by not having that position filled um, by just a warm body as opposed to waiting for the right person to, to fill that role? You know, hiring a, a bad hire could be worse than waiting. Because the, the process that we all go through of hiring a new employee, training that employee, but what about that process of getting rid of that bad apple. I, that has to be horrible. So I think waiting would be better than making a bad hire. Slow to hire. Fast that, to fire. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, we found that out too. With our great staff, they're used to being overworked, but they'd rather have that than try to pick up the slack of someone else that's a bad attitude or bad with productivity. And you're nodding along, Emily, you agree? Yes, I agree. And, you know, that's when we've had some employees that come out in a different – so if they work in the optical and we have cross-trained them to maybe be a technician, 
we find that they're in the optical, that's where they've been working so long, well now we're shorthanded in the technician role, and then they thrive in the technician role. So sometimes you have those times that you find the employee's true passion. I think cross-training is very valuable, mm -hmm. especially in today's environment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we, um, in one of the business of optometry courses, courses we talk about um, really training an understudy. You know, you would never put on a production and not have a backup to your lead role because, God forbid, something happened to your lead role, you've sold hundreds of tickets. You need to have somebody there to fill in uh, to at least know what's happening along that, you know, to, to step into that role. So I, I agree 100% on, on cross-training, at least key positions to make sure somebody can fill in. So the, um, we started on a Cooper plant tour and we got on to uh, hiring practices. And, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking, how did we get there? But it, it was all about the people. And I think how impressed we were with, with the people in the departments um, and how and proud of that they were. I don't know if you guys picked up on it. Every single window had Cooper Vision etched in whatever that department was in all the glass. You, you knew exactly where you were in a, in a, a tasteful way, but you knew where you were and you knew where the learning and development department was. You knew where the, where the movie theaters were, right? You knew what was happening in, in each of those uh, departments and I thought that was pretty cool, how well they internally branded themselves um, and how it must feel to, to work in a place like that. Right, to come in and just the, the, the sense of pride working there. Um, and I think we could, in my office, I, you know, we've got the nice sign on the wall behind the uh, front desk, but I think we could do a, a better job of even you know, continually branding more internally. I thought that was pretty impressive. So that and along with everything had that little tape spot around it, so even the stapler on the desk, you knew where its home was. <laughs> my, desk, my, my desk at home could use that. <laughs> That, uh, that sense of organization. The, um, so let's jump back from the, anything else from the, uh, the plant that you guys uh, took away from? Picking up on the pride that the employees had, you could tell they had a bunch of pride in their sustainability efforts too. That was one of the things I was looking forward to learning most about on this trip because uh, my area, my patients, their plastic is a, is a big deal. And for them to go from their silver to their gold certification, you could just see how prideful they were. And they're always trying to make it better. They're always running their audits to, uh, can we reduce more plastic? Can we be more efficient with uh, the air temperature exchange? It, it, a lot went into that that I didn't know about, and it was really cool to hear about. And I liked that they did it with an old building. Yeah. Because I've, I've seen a lot of new buildings, and there's a lot of, of, uh, of, of pride in new buildings being built. Um, but I think it's really easy to say, well, I, I, I'm not a new building. That's good for you. But they did it with a very old building, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, the way they could engineer it. And they, they clearly had a goal, and they made it work. They made it work. Yep. I, I like that process. You, they had a goal. They, they built a team behind it, so it wasn't just a goal, and they said everybody try a little bit better. Right? It was, they, they didn't do the, the failed yoga, try or try not. Right? Um, but, uh, but they put a whole a team and structure behind hitting that goal um, and which is interesting how many times we've tried implementing a myopia man management or a dry eye system or something in the practice um, where we wanted to do it but there wasn't that structure behind it and, and perhaps we weren't as successful as we could have been right if you it hit me that if you want to go for something you got to really jump all feet in 
and just make it happen. Don't be on the sideline and, oh, I just want to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So that was kind of bringing it back to myopia management. That was my big goal for this year. Like, let's talk to every patient about it. That's appropriate. Uh, all my young myopes were having this conversation with their parents versus a couple of years ago. I'd only bring it up if it was, you know, a full diopter shift. Well, well that's, let's make sense. Let's talk about it. But now whether they're just a quarter, uh, we can see where they're trending. We're having that conversation now. So that's been good for the practice so far. Nice. Let's let's walk through this, and I'm going to always call out Lori Sorensen where I can. So we're whole assing the uh, myopia <laughs> management this year. The uh, Jeff. So we're one month into the year. What did you guys do in January? So really, just decided to make that commitment as a practice. Like this is what we're doing. We recognize that it's FDA approved. We recognize that this is something that's very prevalent. Um, it can be lucrative for the practice, but it's also the best thing for the patient. So our commitment was like, we're just going to do this. So how do we simplify this for the team and make it easy? So all of our doctors, we got a 45-second speech that we can spit out. I'll take the extra 30 seconds to, I like that graph that you showed earlier on the, the insight. The uh, progression the tool? The progression. Yep. But we have a, a tearaway one that, okay. uh, that we can just fill out, track out, and it's just very easy to show the patient and the parents this is where they're at this is the line this is where they're going and we just have that conversation in the office this is the best thing if they're not ready for contacts yet we'll worry about it someday but at least we're planting that seed for future years to get that capture rate up i love it and the 45 second uh spiel will put me on the spot i'm gonna put you on the spot i'm gonna give you a minute to do it because I, I i i'm teeing it up um that, uh, but I, I love that. I'm assuming that all of your doctors have, it's not the same speech because you don't want to sound Correct. like a bunch, you don't want to sound like machines, you want to sound like you, and they want to sound like them. Um, it, my guess is you've, you've shared that with the rest of your staff too, so they know what that conversation looks like. Yep, they, so it goes more back to the training, they know how to, we've had to train them how to implement the process. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the payments, what are, how often are we gonna be following up these patients? So we went through all that stuff too. But it really does come down to the doctors, I think, to, to educate our patients and to be successful with it. Nice. So now I'm putting you on the spot. So part of my pitch. <laughs> uh, you have to mention that it's FDA approved. I think you have to mention that it's new technology. And I think you have to mention it's the standard of care. If you can hit those three points and however you want to say it, that's going to resonate with parents. Uh, it expresses your willingness to do the best for the patient. And you can just get in and get out. And then I like to do that graph, that progression analysis, because here's the facts. This is where your kid's at. You don't have to be a geometry major to know that this line is going here, and this is where they're going to be. I like that. While you were, if you're listening to this, you can't, and you are because we're not videoing it, um, you can't see Jeff, but he counted them out on his fingers, like those three points that, that he made. So one more time for everybody who said, crap, I wish I would have written it down. <laughs> what are the three points? FDA approved. Uh-huh. Oh gosh, I forgot my own three <laughs> points. I'm on the spot. New technology. New technology. Uh, we can go into the, the technology of the, the lens and how it defocuses the periphery, mm -hmm. but that's just getting caught in the weeds. Yep. New technology. And then, yeah, absolutely. The standard of care. Okay. That's the most important thing for the patients. Teamwork, I like it. FDA approved new technology, and standard it's the, the standard of care. Um, and uh, I, I, I like that a lot. And I saw both of you guys writing it down as well as I was, I, I think that really simplified all the weeds and the rabbit holes that we can dive into, but hitting the, the top three points. Yep, 
It's been Very successful cool. so far. Very cool. And then giving them a take home because I'm sure there's... Yep. The, the MySite folder, they go home with that. And then um, if it's a new fit, they'll definitely get to that. And don't really give them the other options of the, the quote-unquote standard lens. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll have that discussion at the contact fit day if, uh, if they aren't sure quite yet. Very cool. I like that. So, Francis, Emily, are you guys doing uh, myopia management in your practices? Not a lot, but it's something that I'm wanting to implement after this trip. Yeah. Something yeah. to whole ass. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Emily, when we sit around like this, the best ideas are these stolen ideas. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to take Jeff's idea and implement that into what I'm doing so I can become more successful in myopia management. I just dabble in that, but certainly you're, you're passionate about that. The passion about, for myself, I wish I would have had myopia management, but I think the passion is optometry, the core of all of us, this passion of optometry in doing what is best for our patients should always be first and foremost. And this idea of thinking about myopia management as the standard of care really resonated with me. Mm-hmm and thinking I need to do a better job of educating my patients, educating the parents, and thanks, Jeff, I appreciate that. And then one step further, uh, just to help commit my my doctors, we print off our daily patient list, and I'm circling before I even see my first patient who's in that age range. So when I check them off, I'm gonna go see them, I'm thinking about it again. Is this patient appropriate to have this conversation with? That's a great idea. I absolutely love that. We, uh, so I'll share our little our story. We, um, we really started our myopia management when my site came out, and uh, it, it, I hadn't wanted to go into atropine, um, and we weren't really doing a whole lot of ortho K, so we we jumped on the uh, on on myopia with my site. Um, and we were really excited. We did lots of training and we set a goal for ourselves, and we failed flat. And we got very disheartened the first six months. And it wasn't until I went back and looked at our opportunities and realized that in our, our, we just don't see a lot of kids. We saw 2.8 adolescents under the age of 17 uh, on a weekly basis. Let's round it up to three. So I'm seeing 12, 17 and under a month. Right, and most of the the myopia management cases we found were started when they were younger. So let's divide that in half. So really, our you know we're seeing five kids a month under the age of twelve, at best, and let's say half of those are are myopes. You know, so success for us didn't look like success for Tan Mai or or Roxanne Cohen or some of the others. Success for us looked like one kid a month enrolled in the program, and I think we had just set our bar too high not realizing what our opportunities were and so when we re-established what our opportunities were we said well this is too much to spread across all of our doctors so we we had one who really liked it we made him our our point person and so when we had a child that could enroll we referred them internally to uh, to him Um, we worked out that process and we were able to see a whole lot more success and through him we've seen success you know grow and, and compound but I think that uh, it's important to understand, you know, what your opportunities are, and then, you know, play the game for the day. What are my chances today, and how many how many kids do I have today? And it might be one, it might be none, right? But let's let's not go into it hoping because hope doesn't get you where you need to go. That that really good game plan does, and um, and and I I hope nobody else had that dis- discouraging experience like we did, 
But it was really tough thinking that we failed, realizing that we weren't doing half bad, but thinking that we failed because our, our goal was, was just unrealistic. So, um, no, I, uh, I think that's very cool. And uh, certainly getting everybody on. I love the, the 45 second speech where- uh, Yeah, you, every doctor knows how to speak to their patients. So rehearse it, just, you don't want to stumble across it like I'm stumbling across my words right now. Um, so when you just project that confidence and if you believe in the program and yes, there's clinical data to back it up and you can give them the resources, but just be your professional self and sell it. Nice. Now for those who are, are listening, um, we're not going to talk numbers, but I want to do ask, the, ask the, the four of us, what does your fee structure look like for myopia management? Because that's one question that I hear frequently from offices who are looking to go into it. Um, so Jeff, do you guys do a, a global fee? How do you Yeah, we, it's it? a MySite package. Okay. And in that package, you get a year supply of contacts. And then I explained that we'll handhold the, the patients longer, um, more follow-ups if required. We'll still see them every six months regardless um, if they're progressing or not. So trying to give the parent and the patient that value that we're there for them because it is more of an upfront cost. So, and Emily, do you guys have a uh, program? We do not have a MySite cost, and we're, we do not have a program going, but I'm excited to hear everybody's number, or not numbers, but I'm excited to hear what your package deals are. So, um, I'm going to steal a little bit of Jeff's ideas, um, and we'll talk about that probably off record, but I do have a, a fee that I set for that, and that fee includes that initial visit, fit, and evaluation. I also do an A scan on the patient. I'm just lucky in my practice I have an A scan because of cataract surgery workups. So I do an A scan and then I see them at six months and I include that into that original fee structure. And then of course the contacts are, are sold separately from that. So maybe looking back and maybe looking at what you do, Jeff, perhaps maybe it needs to be one global fee like you do that includes the contacts, perhaps that could bring a little better success uh, versus separating it out. It would be interesting to know, maybe Aaron, if you separate that out or you bundle it and what practices have the best success? The, so I've looked a lot at this and it, uh, when we initially launched the, when Cooper launched the MySite program, they, they pushed the, uh, uh, the, the universal fee, right, the, the annual fee. Um, and I think that stemmed from a lot of our really successful colleagues who have been doing myopia management for a long time. The, um, across the board, and we've, we struggled with this a little bit too, um, explaining that to patients because it's something that we don't do in the office. We don't do, um, we don't do vision therapy, so we don't have a universal fee for vision therapy. Um, we do do a lot of uh, cash base, dry eye treatments, but that was charged per treatment. And so a, an annual fee was something foreign to us and foreign to explaining to patients and therefore foreign to them, mostly because we came across off. So we, we did start with a universal fee. We called it the, the Brilliant Futures fee, and that's what we wrote on the, uh, um, on the invoice. And, and some patients really liked it, and some pushed back because that number was a little bit bigger than what they, I think they were anticipating. It took me a little bit, but I, I peeled back the layers and said, what are we really doing? We're doing a contact lens exam. I have a contact lens exam fee. We're supplying contact lenses. I have a typical markup for my contact lenses. 
And then on the follow-up visits, that's if I walk through it, it's really, uh, we decided a, a level three medical visit. And the first year, I'm probably going to see them more frequently, and so there'll be more visits. Uh, it, just like a glaucoma patient, if they're controlled, I'm gonna see them less frequently. If they're not controlled, I'm gonna see them more frequently. And so I don't have to commit to something. And, and what we did is we said, well, so you can either do the, the um, uh, pay all up front, right, and, uh, and the, the brilliant futures, but if that didn't, didn't, uh, wasn't attractive to patients, we just put them through the regular medical optometry model that we had. And what I found is that the dollar really equaled out in the end. Um, part of the struggle that my staff and I had on the, the universal fee on the front end was, well, what about year two? What about year three? Do we keep charging them the same thing? And I, I'm seeing some of you nod going, yeah, I struggle with that too. Well, for me, that got resolved on the medical model because if you're controlled, I don't need to see you as much and I shouldn't be charging you for what I'm, the work I'm not doing. If you're really uncontrolled, I should be seeing you more and I need to be charging you for the time I'm putting in. So for, for us, we've defaulted really back to everything follows that medical model. Now, I know we can't bill insurance, but I don't think insurance dictates what's, uh, what, what you know, medical, proper medical treatment or standard of care is. I think they just decide what they want to pay for or not. Um, but at least for us, because we've, we've always been a fairly big glaucoma practice and, and, uh, and medical air quotes practice, um, that system made sense to us. It makes sense to the patients. It makes sense to the staff to explain. Um, and then you just you bill appropriately for the, the work you do. Um, and, uh, it, you know, level three, like I said, you know, we can debate that, but I think that's a fair um, uh, calculation or evaluation of the work that's done during those visits. So it's, uh, and it made it less intimidating, at least in my mind, because um, it kind of fit the, the rest of the, the model we were already doing. So I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think you just have to, to, to find the way that, that you're most comfortable and you can explain it best to patients. I mean, universal fee would be a heck of a lot easier, but. <laughs> I think that's why we went that way. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 the point is there's no wrong, the right way or wrong way to do something. I think there just needs to be the way that your team is comfortable presenting it, and then you can, can explain it to yourself in the mirror and then to your patients. So, uh, but very cool. Now I'm excited to, uh, Emily and Francis, to hear from, uh, from you guys in the next couple months to to see where you're at. And now we are, we got to be dedicated because we just said it on a podcast. Just so committed. we're definitely, just com committed. we committed ourselves yes. then. <laughs> Holding us accountable. <laughs> oh, that's that A word. That A word's tough. <laughs> Life would be a lot easier without the accountability. Wouldn't part it? Of it? Yeah. <laughs> so very cool. So uh, other than myopia management, Emily and, and Francis, are, is there anything you guys are, are, like what was your goal for the year in the practice? You know, we we did not have a team meeting to talk about what our goals would be for the you know our just inside our practice. Yeah. So what I something that I want to take away from this meeting before I want to say it before I forget was talking about referring OD to OD. So mm -hmm. Francis and I live in very rural areas. Is that what you had down to? OD to OD referral. <laughs> so we have a doctor that specializes in low vision in our practice. I do the PEDS BT. Um, we've got scleral contact lens fitters and things like that. But I don't think about our local OD to OD to referral. I refer in our practice, but then 
if we do dry eye, I don't refer to other ODs, you know. And so that's something that I picked up from this meeting, not a goal for the practice, but that would be a goal for me as an individual was OD to OD referrals. I love that. Mm -hmm. And Francis, you wrote that down too. So where, were you, where was your mind there? So there is a reason I wrote that down because that is actually something that I'm passionate about. So Emily is a past president of the Tennessee Optometric Association. And one of our local, she does practice on the other end of the state, but one of our local initiatives in our local optometry meeting is to find out what people do. So if you have a niche, so our area is, you know, quite a, quite a ways from each other, but what have we found out if this, we have someone that does pediatric optometry, what if this person does scleral lenses? What if this person does VT? What if this person does ortho K? But to make a concerted effort to find out what the ODs do that is their their thing. Mm -hmm. What are they passionate about? What do they do? Maybe if you don't want to do myopia management, maybe your your colleague down the street does. I think we have to make a concerted effort when we can refer from OD to OD that that makes us better, all of us better. I refer, I'm very fortunate, I live not far from Kentucky, so all of my SLTs and YAGs are referred to a colleague, an OD colleague. So I think that has become my passion, perhaps a little bit of my mission, to um, promote OD to OD referrals and not be afraid to refer to each other. But it starts with making a concerted effort kind of a grassroots effort to to make my our colleagues understand the why and not be scared like oh this person's going to steal my patients i think we got to stop thinking in those terms yep. and start thinking in terms of helping one another and elevating our practice to and our profession to better standards amen couldn't have uh, couldn't have said that better yeah and i think that is standard of care you don't have to do everything you just have to educate and referring is a treatment strategy right and referring to the right person is a treatment strategy and there, there's you know, who better equipped and educated to to manage the vast majority of the diseases we work with including myopia management than our own colleagues yep, I love that a lot the uh, and I think we we going back to myopia management we've talked standard of care and I know Today we had a little bit of a roundtable about what standard of care means and that the term gets thrown out a little bit uh, or quite frequently, but what, what's behind that? What does standard of care mean to you in your office, Jeff? Will my patients be treated how I would treat my family? And I think that a lot of ODs can say that and yeah, make it personal. Like, while I might only see that patient for 20 minutes a day or 20 minutes a year essentially, um, they went through a lot of stuff to, to make it to my office and I appreciate them being there. They keep the lights on and I want what's best for them. So it could be the newest technology. We're always trying to update that in the office. It could be if they need vision therapy, I'm going to uh, refer them out to another OD across town. So as long as you're aware of what they need and you can facilitate that, you're right. You don't have to provide everything to everyone, but uh, do the best thing for the patient. I like that. 
Emily, same question? Yeah, doing the best thing for your patients no matter what. So when I first started right out of optometry school, I would think, oh, well, I can't offer my patient this because what if they can't afford it or what? That's not our job. It's to provide the best care to our patients and give them all the options that are on the table. So that's something, when you take that out of the equation, that's what standard of care is to me. You do the best thing for your patients, just like Jeff said, treat them like your family. You know, the best advice I ever got was grandma's advice. And my grandmother told me, if you treat every patient like me, you will do well. And the truth is, if you, Jeff, just like you said, if you treat every patient like they were your family, what would you do for your grandmother? What would you do for your mom or your sister or your own child? I think if you practice in those terms, you will always not only meet the standard of care, but you'll exceed the standard of care. I like that. What do you term that, the, the grandma rule or the golden grandma rule? Yeah. Grandma's golden rule. <laughs> <laughs> One of those will stick. Well, she um, was a wise woman, uh, and I'm actually named after her. Right. So yeah, so to just know that that was the advice that she gave me many years ago, um, I still, all these years of practicing, I still go by that same advice. I, I love that. And I'll tell you why I love that is uh, too often I hear people say, treat others how you want to be treated. And I think that's some of the worst advice we could get um, because if, <laughs> sorry, Jeff's catching a fly. Um, <laughs> the uh, karate kid over there. The, um, um, because if we, we treat everybody how we want to be treated, I like my steaks medium rare. And I, I shared this example at a table, and I, the, the doc across from me made a face and said, I'm vegetarian. I said, well, clearly this then works because you don't even want a steak, right? You have to treat people not only how they want to be treated, but I think sometimes in this case, you have to treat them uh, better than they want to be treated. You have to have a, a threshold for quality. And so I love that with uh, treat everybody how you would want your grandma to be treated, and uh, which isn't always easy to do. Sometimes it means having a difficult conversation with them. Sometimes it means saying, I, I disagree with, with you not wanting to do that. I don't think you're taking the best care of yourself or making the best decisions. Well, I can't make those for you. I'm going to have the hard conversation. And I'm going to note in the chart that we had this conversation. So that, you know, when you come back next year, if something happens that you know, goes against medical advice, we've at least documented it. And uh, so it's, it's not always easy to give standard of care, but I think we can always go to sleep knowing that we did the best we could when we do that. So, I like that a lot. We've had a couple other conversations just with colleagues, um, maybe or maybe not with a cocktail in our hand. So, what are some of the things that you've pulled from, um, just from talking with the, the fantastic group that we've got assembled here? So, I'll just go back real quick. This was not just the colleagues, but when we were touring the plant and you talked about pride, Jeff, the, the pride in which these employees, it just kind of exuded in them. But I think I would add another word with that. It was not only pride, but it was passion. Yes. And they're just not complacent. So this award, they, they're a gold standard from the leads, but they're not complacent with that. They wanna be platinum. So I think that resonated with me a little bit that they weren't just, excellence is a moving target. So once they achieve this gold, now they're trying to achieve a higher of platinum. And to me, pride and passion in what they're doing really resonated with me. 
there and just the passion in which they talked about what they were doing for the environment, not only making great products and great technology in the engineering that they've put behind this, but, uh, but the passion that they have was pretty important. And I, you know, I sit around with my vision source colleagues here and I realize that we are all incredibly passionate about our profession, our craft, and I think that parallels with this company as well. In the past, our focus revolved around prescribing MacuHealth or MacuHealth Plus to patients at risk of macular degeneration, while also recommending it to collegiate and professional athletes for enhanced contrast sensitivity in sports performance. However, this year's introduction of the Life Meter has been a game changer. The Life Meter revealed a concerning truth. Many of my patients have alarmingly low skin carotenoid levels, indicating potential deficiencies in essential body tissues like the retina and brain. Supported by over 30 peer-reviewed publications, Life Meter's accuracy, consistency, and effectiveness has been demonstrated across 2,000 subjects with diverse backgrounds. With this newfound insight, I can now have meaningful conversations about carotenoid levels with all of my patients, even those who may seem outwardly healthy. To learn more about this empowering technology, feel free to contact your MacuHealth representative or click on the link in the show notes. Together, let's optimize patient care and elevate their well-being. As doctors of optometry, we cannot do what we do without our team. And para-optometrics are allied health professionals who assist us in providing the highest level of vision care to our patients. We at iCode Education want to support you and your team in the para-optometric certification process, which is why not only do we have resources available, training resources available for your team to help prepare them for the test, but we also have a discount code specifically for the Aaron Warner podcast listeners, which gives you $100 off for 12 months. So you can use the code AWP2024, that's AWP2024, to get $100 off for a 12 months code. We'll put the link in the show notes, but you can visit icodeeducation.com and search for para-optometric training to see what those courses are like. Yep, I like that. It, it, the vulnerability of the company to say, what can we do better? Where are we struggling? What can we do better? Um, and I see parallels a lot with with what they're doing and, and moving from silver to gold and then hopefully to platinum at the uh, the plant here in, in Puerto Rico. But around the tables and uh, in our discussions, not just here, but in, within all our colleagues, you know, hey, I'm struggling with this. You know, we had a really good discussion on, we're not going to name product names, but getting patients to move out of contact lens technology that has been around for, you know, since I was born. You know, and they just can't seem to get out of that. What are you guys doing? Because we, we don't believe it's the best for them. We don't believe they're wearing it appropriately. It, but it's really hard sometimes to change patient behaviors and, uh, and just being willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Right? I'm not being successful in this. Or I'm struggling with the uh, you know, fitting the, the new Mare multifocals. Like, it, you all seem to be doing well with it, but I'm not. Help me out with it. That answer was easy from the group. It was just stop overthinking and follow the silly feeling guide. It's not silly that it's smarter than you. Um, and, uh, and I think that we're all guilty of being smarter than the fitting guides. But, uh, but it was, I, I love seeing the vulnerability, um, and I love being a part of a group that allows me to be vulnerable and say I need help. 
So that's, I love that observation, Francis. So, Jeff, Emily, anything else? No, I'm just picking up on the passion talk. You know, I love being in settings like this. So thank you, Cooper. Thank you, Vision Source, for this opportunity to meet like-minded individuals. And everyone's got their notepad in front of them uh, through this. Everyone's taking notes to bring back. No one thinks they have it all figured out, right? So we're all trying to do what's best for our practice, do what's best for our patients. And I, I know that I get energized by this stuff. So thanks, everybody. Awesome. Yeah, you know, Aaron, you and I were talking about this a couple nights ago of how my favorite part about Vision Source is being with people that want to see you succeed. Nobody in Vision Source compares their practice to yours. Nobody practices the same way as you do, but we're always there to help each other out. And it's amazing that you can get the Aaron on the phone in five seconds if you need to. How um, I mean, how, just how wonderful is that? It's amazing that you can call Ron John from Cooper at any time and he'll answer your phone call. So you, we're here with local and, and national Vision Source members, but also to have Cooper executives sitting in the same room to, as you asking, what can we do to make your profession better? We're already trying to excel. We're trying to bring on new, new roles, new products, new technologies. But to listen, have them sitting here listening to you like we listen to each other in Vision Source meetings, it was very eye-opening for me. So I'm with you on that, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Well, very cool. I think it's, uh, it's important to surround yourself with people who want to see you succeed and that you want to be succeed. And uh, it, we all rise to the level of the group around us. Um, and uh, clearly we're passionate about Vision Source and, and we all believe it. But uh, if you're not and you're listening, you know, find that group. Find your people. Um, and, and find the companies that are, are willing to partner with you um, because collectively we, we need each other and uh, we can't take good care of patients without that. Um, if you're listening and you happen to uh, be interested in Vision Source, uh, there'll be a link in the, the notes below. We have our big exchange coming up in a couple of months. Can't wait to see everybody and catch up with you guys again there. We'll uh, check in on the myopia management process and, uh, and follow up on the accountability. Um, but definitely find your, find your community because nobody can do this alone. So, awesome. Well, really appreciate you guys taking the time to, uh, to share your, your thoughts and uh, insights and sit around the table for me. Um, I think we're going to step outside and uh, hopefully go enjoy a rainforest here in a little bit. It sounds like we're going to be rained on in the rainforest. <laughs> um, but uh, appreciate all of you being my friends and my colleagues um, and everyone listening as well for, uh, for supporting us. Uh, Please join the conversation, leave a comment, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, as always, subscribe, sub subscribe, subscribe, like uh, and share and uh, do leave us a, a good five-star review. That definitely helps in the rankings. Until next time. We're really excited to invite you to join the Aaron Werner podcast on iCode Media's first live book club where we review the book, Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. Drs. Brianna Rue, Kyle Cludy, and myself are super excited to share our thoughts with you. We want you to join, share your thoughts with us, ask questions all live on Wednesday, February 21st at 4 p.m. Central Time. In the show notes of this episode, there's a link to order the book. There's also a link to join our book club live on Wednesday, February 21st at 4 p.m. Central. Look forward to seeing you there.